Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. This is a photograph, a window to the past of your father on the front line. With no shirt on. Kevin Morby's a gifted songwriter, musician, and singer based in Kansas City, Missouri. Clever and prolific, Morby has released seven albums to date, including his latest and most ambitious one yet. It's called This Is a Photograph. It's out May 13th, 2022, via Dead Oceans. And it prompted Kevin to return to this show for a talk about his life in Kansas City during the pandemic, the city of Memphis and state of Tennessee, and why both serve as muses and landscapes on This is a Photograph. His interest in the lives and deaths of Jeff Buckley and Jay Retard. His reverence for historical artifacts and documentation in this time of intangibility and technological obsolescence. Why and how Tim Heidecker and Aaliyah Shawkat appear on his new record, 
the trip I was going to make and eventually did make to Tulsa, Oklahoma to visit the Bob Dylan Center, upcoming tour dates, other future plans, and much more. Part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you fill your orders for things like uh, the new uh, Kevin Warby album, for example. This is a photograph. You can learn more about Blackbird at their website, blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 685 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Kevin Morby with your host, me, Vish Khanna. In the cool Kentucky dirt Laughing in the garden Back where it all started With a smile on her face Everything in its place Got a glimmer in her eye Seem to say, this is what I miss about being alive This is what I miss about being alive This is what I miss about being alive Hey, Kevin, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. Nice to see you again. Uh, thanks for being back on the show. Where in the world are you? I am in Kansas City. I'm in my little studio here. And um, yeah, I'm in Kansas City. It's nice out today for the first time in a long time. You have been uh, rather outgoing, I would say, from my uh, our social media interactions. I'm like, wow, Kevin has been out and about a lot. Uh, <laughs> is that fair to say? You don't stay holed up like me. <laughs> yeah, I don't stay too hold up for too long. Yeah, I'm I'm always out out and about. <laughs> any particular highlights? You did some touring, I know that. Uh, but any other highlights? Yeah, I did some touring at the end of last year, which was fun to be back out in the world and kind of tour in this new crazy landscape that is touring during COVID. And um, I spent most of the winter in Los Angeles seeing friends and doing some stuff in preparation of the record. And then since I've been back. I had a crazy week last week where I went to, I went to very weird. I went to Denver, to San Francisco, to Cincinnati, to Nashville. Wow. Just kind of, just a strange, like I threw a dart at a map and went to four different places. <laughs> um, but now I'm back here for a little bit until my life gets crazy again. Well, good for you. I mean, everything's been going well for you, like safe, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Luckily, you know, knock on wood, every, everyone's been good and, and healthy for the most part. So yeah, feeling blessed in, in that way. You know, as people, when people hear this, it's going to be a little while, uh, from as we're recording, but, but as we're speaking today, I'm getting on a plane and I'm, I'm, I got some stuff going on. I feel a little, where are you going? I'm going back to Ontario, uh, to visit my, uh, my dad's birthday is coming up and, uh, nice. Happy this birthday. coincides with, uh, a memorial for, uh, Dallas Good of the Sadies. I don't know if you knew. Oh, no, I, I'm a fan, but I, I didn't know him personally. I'm, I'm sorry about all that. It's, it's terrible. I pre- we, we all appreciate that. And uh, yeah, uh, so I'm going back for those two things. And then as it happens, everything I've ever been involved in is having some kind of gathering. Every festival, every magazine is like 30th anniversary party, uh, 10th anniversary party. And it's just weirdly, and I'm only going for a week. So I'm being... And it's all happening in this week. <laughs> I'm being asked to attend things and I'm like, what if we meet in a park? I'm still that guy. You know, why do we have to go in the thing? So you, but you've been going to like ball games and all this stuff, right? You've been, you've just been among the people and it's been fine. I just, I've done it all. Yeah. yeah. You know, you just got to give, have you had COVID? No. 
See, if you haven't had COVID, I, I got COVID over uh, Christmas. Uh, me and my girlfriend and her whole family, we all got it. So once you have it, you feel a little bit, you know, um, like a superhero out there in the world. Um, but even leading up to that, before I had had it, I just, I, I guess I just dove back in, you know. Um, yeah. And I understand if you haven't had it, not wanting to get it, but then when you get it, um, you'll be fine. You'll it's be okay. the mystery is sort of reveals itself. And, uh, yeah, I, I hear that and I'm heading to a place that uh, is rampant. So we'll see. I hope I, I'm going to do my best, uh, to get it. Anyway, it's very nice to have you back. Congratulations on this excellent new record. Uh, I want to start actually with the end of it. Uh, I'm just going to pull, I, I actually made notes, which I will start where everything should start at the end. Well, there's this song. Uh, goodbye to good times. And the last mm-hmm. bit struck me as sort of really encapsulating a lot of what I was hearing throughout the record. And the lines that I want to quote to you, if you don't, is it okay if I read your own lyrics to you? Yeah. Okay. Go, absolutely. Well, rock me, baby. Oh, rock me, child. I miss the good times, mama. They've gone out of style. And I don't remember how it feels to dance. Goodbye to good times. Well, this is a photograph, a window to the past of a family growing old inside the boxing ring of time in bittersweet, bittersweet Tennessee. So where I'm coming from, and for those who haven't heard this record yet, a lot of the themes that circulate throughout this record, I feel are kind of captured in here. Tennessee is a, Kevin, fair to say Tennessee is a major uh, location on this record, right? Yeah, I'd say that's fair to say. For sure. <laughs> I come to various cities and state, the state is referenced many times. And then this notion of time and photographs and what it means uh, to have any kind of history that's frozen in time, that is a recurring theme as well, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so what is happening to you? I mean, we're all going, like, we, you know, we're just, sorry we started with the bad news with the COVID stuff, but I'm, I'm telling you, I've just, I got to pack and I've never packed in two years. I don't know what, I don't remember how to do anything, so I've got the agita, you know? <laughs> anyway, my point is this. It seems to me obvious why you'd be in a reflective mode, but can you expand upon it? What's going on? Yeah, you know, um, that's, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that because it was a very reflective time period. I found COVID, like the, the peak of COVID 2020 and 2021, but especially 2020 when I wrote the bulk of this record, a pretty uninspiring time. And, you know, for me as a person who's out and about there in the world all the time, I was kind of, you know, blindsided obviously by this virus in the same way that everyone was. But I was like, wow, I really have to, for someone like me and, and, uh, who is constantly leaving town and constantly playing shows. And, you know, my girlfriend, she jokes all the time. She calls me the mayor. You know, she's like, you're like the mayor. You walk in every room and you, you know how to, you know, introduce cer- certain circles to each other and everyone knows you. You're always that person. And so, yeah, I found that time to be sort of uninspiring. I mean, there was some good things that came out of it, obviously to the backdrop of the world falling apart, but, I didn't really plan on writing a record or, you know, I wasn't putting pressure on myself to create something, but I found myself getting very inspired by the past, um, which I think is very apparent on this record and what you're speaking to. And that kind of became this sort of comfortable place for me to live in while writing this album, you know? And I think that's why I ultimately ended up going to Memphis to uh, write the bulk of this and to also, re- I, I finished recording it there. I recorded the bulk of it in upstate New York at Sam Cohen studio, but finished it in Memphis and I think Memphis is a place that like wears the past on its sleeve. You know, it's, it's like, I wouldn't say it's stuck in the past at all, but it does a good job at honoring its past. And it, the whole city kind of feels like this big museum or something. And so 
Yeah, there was a lot of things firing at once with just really sort of the warmth of the past, even though the past, obviously, when it was in its present day, was a very complicated time and place for various reasons. But none of those reasons were because of a global pandemic, and that felt like a nice place to sort of exist in my mind while I was working on this. Fair enough. I, I can appreciate that. Why Tennessee, though? Like, of all the places, like I feel like all of America, every state to me has like a rich history uh, cultural history or, or or what have you. This record has so many pop culture references on it, so many allusions to film. Boxing, I found fascinating. Like, I, I mean, Jeff Buckley, like, is a recurring ghost on this record. Something about Tennessee in particular. Sorry, the boxing does nothing. To, wait, does the... No, they didn't fight in Tennessee, uh, no. Leonard and Duran, did they? No, no, that wasn't in Tennessee. <laughs> okay, just making sure. I didn't... It wasn't I, the South, I though, actually, you bring it. I think it was New Orleans and, and Panama. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, not yeah. Tennessee. Not Tennessee. Yeah, not Tennessee. Anyway, my point is, Tennessee is this homing beacon for you. You're from, uh, you're from Texas, right? Originally, is that right? I was born there and then spent my childhood in Oklahoma and Kansas. Right, right. So Tennessee doesn't really have a bearing on you, and yet when I pour through the lyrics, there are references to someone encountering uh, photos or remembering uh, instances with their parents. I think in Tennessee. So why Tennessee in particular? You're, you know, Sufjan Stevens. Remember that guy? Uh, he's a, <laughs> just a, he's an old uh, pal of mine, actually. And we used to talk more often than we do now, but he used to put out, uh, he was trying to do that 50 state series. Right, right. And, Whatever happened uh, to that? So, who knows? I, I should he ask Sufjan. Illinois. He got, he did one and then he was done. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> it was but so you, much of a success that he, uh, yeah, he was fine. <laughs> I feel like we should contact him or get him on this call because you've kind of picked up the slack. By focusing uh-huh. so much on Tennessee, but no, any other particular reason why Tennessee? Uh, like you, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but why Tennessee on the mind for you at this point? I think one, it's a beautiful word, and it's a word I enjoy singing. I think that's part of it, but also, you know, because um, in this, in the same thought as I, it was an uninspiring time. I just written and you know released my album Sundowner, which is the last time we spoke, and that's yeah. a record really sort of centered around. Kansas and being a Kansan in the sort of Midwest. And I had begun going to Memphis in 2019. First, my girlfriend and I went there on like a road trip just for a night. Actually, it was just we were on our way to somewhere else and we, we ended up staying there for a night. And it was for whatever reason, being a musician in that music or that, that city has obviously got such like a rich musical history. When I was there, I, it kind of dawned on me like, oh, you know, I haven't like really played here much or spent much time here at all. Like, why is that? Why is this city sort of overlooked? I feel like a very well-traveled, well-versed person in American culture. And I was like, and it seems like it just makes no sense that I haven't spent much time here. And so then I kind of had my booking agent book me a show there later that year in 2019. And I have this kind of amazing, magical show. It, it's in this old Sears building. It used to be a Sears distribution center. And they had turned it in this show space and there's like, it is a multi-use space and there's just a lot going on there. I thought, found it really inspiring. And something that stuck out to me about Memphis in general was it reminded me of how cities felt when I first started touring. You know, the downtown areas would be like, like, you know, a little like bombed out in a way, but because of that, you could, you could, you know, throw these warehouse parties or play these, these sort of DIY shows and, you know, the, the cops would never get called. And, there's still this element to, to Memphis where it feels, I guess, a little, you know, it, it hasn't been taken over by tech, really, it is, is I think if I was really to get to the bottom of that feeling, that's what it would be. Whereas 
Kansas City included, most every other American city kind of feels the same. You know, when you show up at these cities, they they all kind of feel the same. And so, I don't know. It had this. I was like, you know, I haven't felt this way in a city. This is how it used to feel to tour in, in any city that I would end up in. But I don't know. It, I I was going there before the pandemic, so then when the pandemic hit. It was kind of nice to again exist there and, and mentally, you know, it, it just a, a, became a sort of muse of mine and a place that I found comfort in and I like to think of it. And then ultimately, you know, I was like, I need to get out of Kansas. I need to get out of this house. I need to, to go explore these songs and sort of get inside them and work on them. And it was just a very obvious choice to go there. And so I spent a couple of weeks there writing and yeah, I just found it to be a very inspiring place. I think it's, it's my favorite city, America. And I, what you're saying, I, I totally agree with. I, I think any American city has, you know, it's complicated past. And I think you could look at any, most cities and it's, it, it can, it, it can stand to be, uh, you know, the voice of America if you want it to be. But I feel no place does that better than Memphis. Hmm. You know, I, traveling a lot and especially I've played internationally so much. I find that, when I meet people and it's, it's, it's in the same way that if I go to Australia, I'd probably go to Sydney or Melbourne, you know, and I wouldn't go to some small town, but people always say, Oh, I've, I've been to the States, but I've just been to New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco or whatever. And I think Memphis is one of those towns that if someone wanted to come here and kind of learn what America's about and like where it's from and where it's headed, like, I think that's a great place. So this idea of bittersweet Tennessee kind of became this metaphor for America as a whole. So I was very, uh, you know, sort of becoming obsessed with that city, but also I, I wanted it to feel like it was this broad sense of America itself. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I appreciate what you're saying about the historical preservation that goes on in Memphis. Uh, because when I think of Memphis, I think of it uh, as a site uh, of great technical innovation. Like it's interesting also that you said it seems untouched by technology on some level. I've never been to Memphis. I've been to Nashville and I love Nashville uh, when I was there, but it was just like, I'm in Nashville. Same feeling of history, right? right? And, but when I think of Sam Phillips and what he did with recording technology, obviously Sun Records, Elvis, Jeff Buckley, I mean, unfortunately, um, is the flip side to that. And that's the, maybe the bittersweet part. It's a very historical city. I mean, Martin Luther King cried. I mean, it's my God. What a, what a nexus actually of American history. I never thought of it that way. So I appreciate what you're saying. There is a lot of stuff on your record. I think that is, uh, immersed in history, but also the preservation of history, which is yeah. interesting. We live in such an intangible time. So when you focus on this as a photograph, I wonder what's going on for you there. Like it's almost an old timey thing to just think of a, a physical, I assume you mean a physical photograph, you know, yeah, when you, when yeah. that's what you're alluding to one, a tangible one. Like nowadays, this stupid computer I'm going to bring with me has like 50,000 photos on it. And I never really <laughs> look at when I was a kid, you had to take like you had 24 photos on your film and you had to mean right. it, you know? I yeah, sound yeah. like an old man. You, you, did you even have that? You must have had that. You're not that yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For okay. sure. Yeah. My so, parents and, yeah. So something's going on with our ability to what we think is historical and mm-hmm. <laughs> everything feels a little important, maybe than it is. But at the same time, we're missing all sorts of uh, physical archives. Is that going through your mind at all on these songs? Like just this notion of like, my past is frozen here, but it's the only thing keeping it alive. Cause if this yeah. artifact wasn't here, these photos of my parents and me or whomever, there would almost be no record of them these days. Was any of that swimming around in, in your mind when you were writing these songs? Big time. And I, I like what you said about, you know, you have the 24, uh, you know, 
opportunities to take a photograph yeah. with an old camera. So you have to mean it. Cause when I look back at old family photos, I'm like, man, these are all so gorgeous. They, they all look like they could be in an album cover or on displayed in a museum. And it's because you did have to mean it. And it kind of turned everyone into this photographer. Today, everyone is like a photographer and a model, but in this sort of selfie and a comedian, you know, just. And a comedian and, uh, you know, a magician. Uh, um, that's what I'm going to get into next, doing like Instagram magic. Oh, I can't wait for but, that. Um, That'll be fun. You just doing magic tricks? I, I, I'm here yeah, for that. Record. That sounds fun. Yeah, no, it, it's, I think you're making some kind of comment on the way we consume and preserve things now and the way they were yeah. before. I mean, that's probably obvious, but for those who haven't heard the record, I just wonder if you can expand upon it. Yeah, you know, I I liked thinking of of, of music as uh, a, a sort of photograph. You know, I was getting into the idea of like anything could exist as a photograph uh, that's physical, like you, you, holding a record, and you, it can kind of become meta too, where it's you know the the cover of the album is like indeed literally a photograph. But I like the idea of you know what a photo is is a snapshot in time, and it's documenting something, and then that thing's going to age, and it's going to feel like. The past, uh, to someone in the future, but at the same time, it's, it's like this preserved present tense, if that makes sense. And I was just thinking a lot about how music is sort of like that. That's the document that I'm making because like you're saying, all the other photographs that I'm taking or most things that I document are like in the cloud or in this hard drive that eventually I would imagine are going to go away or will get lost somehow. I mean, most of my photos from my twenties were all on discarded iPhones. I, you know, they're just photos that are lost. Whereas, well, there's yeah, a whole like there's a whole swath of records that were made on like ADATs in the 90s, and they don't make the players anymore. So yeah, wow. Like I I made I when I was a kid we made records that way, and the, my friend would be like, oh, I have this new technology, obsolete. So yeah, I think <laughs> that's just like there's an inherent obsolescence to everything. Like they yeah. update the iPhones now. I'm pointing at my phone, and like they don't work with the other stuff, like the old operating know, system. Really you can't wild. if you have an old one. So like, what are we doing? Like it is. I was on a plane. I was on a plane last week, and I went to plug in my like USB. Thing. Like I have like this new charger for my iPhone, and when I went to take out the USB, I was like, oh, it's not USB anymore. When I pulled it out of the square, oh right, and I was like, these fucking planes just have all these USB. They installed all these USB things, and now they have to move to something else. Like. Thunderbolt so, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, right. Thunderbolt seems so unnecessary and strange and all that technology is, yeah, I don't know what it leads to. Um, hmm. but with the record, yeah, I wanted to make, it was just the acknowledgement that I'm making this sort of physical media that, you know, is a snapshot in time. And it's in, in all records, you could say it's, it's true of all records. They're all the snapshot in time, um, that are documenting something. I was getting very into the idea of what a record actually is. Like if you break down the word, like a record, like by definition is it's a record. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a documentation of document. A, yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. so that was like a fun thing that I was running with and, and yeah, wanting to just make something that sort of felt beautiful and timeless in the way that like an old photograph would feel. What do you suppose? Uh, I think it's obvious because again, we've talked about the pandemic and what I don't know about you, but hasn't it just fucked up your concept of time this time? Like this, these, time. it's crazy. Like, yeah, mainly in the way that I keep thinking, like, oh, that that happened the other day, but I'm it was three years ago. Yeah, I keep doing a thing where I'm like, uh, I had guests on recently, and we met. I think uh, we figured out we must have met in like 2017 or 18. But I just did the math on it from 2019, like like as if we'd. It's only been a right, couple right. of years, right, since we've known each other. Right. And they're like, "No, it's been like four years or three, whatever." And I was like, "What? Oh, okay, I didn't even realize right. 
how much time has gone by. So for me, I'm, I'm noticing psychologically, I've just stopped counting days and years. Yeah. And it feels like I forget I've been in Edmonton for two years. Like I, I don't even remember. Anyway, so you've got that too. Cause I hear talk- I've got that big time. And I feel yeah. like I came out of everything. Like I was in my early thirties and now I'm in my mid thirties, which is a big difference. You know, like I feel like I look different and I, and I think differently and it just, it's, it like propels you. I think about kids who must, you know, would have been in their late teens or something. And then suddenly they're 21 and they're like, wow, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of just thro- thrown out into the, the strange world and I didn't get a graduation or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's just these sort of formative year, pivotal ages of kids kind of losing those, those moments. And it's a strange time because that time felt like it was never ending, but now it felt like it barely ever happened. And it's just this blip. Yeah. It's like a, a weird blip in the universe. Well, I'm still there. Like I still don't feel like time is moving forward, but you on this record. So we've talked about history which is in a sense mm-hmm. talking about time, but time is a real force throughout a bunch of these songs. Do you mm-hmm. have any, and we've kind of just talked about it, but what is your relationship with time generally? Like, uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly a muse on this record, but it's also, what do you call it? Uh, the boxing ring? Of, what did I quote earlier? The boxing ring of the time? Bo- the boxing ring with time. The yeah. boxing ring like of, of a family time. growing old inside the boxing ring of time in bittersweet, bittersweet Tennessee. That's the line. So you view it as almost no. combative now. It seems to me, if I may, yeah. if I may psychoanalyze, pseudo psychoanalyze, what's going on with you in time? What would you say on this record? Well, you know, I think the seed of that lyric came out of there's this moment where my dad passed out at a family dinner and he had to be rushed away to the hospital. And then later that night when he was released and we had gone back to my parents' house, we kind of unearthed this old box of family photos that I'd never seen before. And I happened to find this one of him when he was a younger man. And he happened to be the age that I was there looking at the photograph. So he's 32 in the photo and I was 32 looking at this picture. And I, and there's just a lot of parallels between that photo. And, you know, I just seen him earlier that night pass out and sort of fall ill. And the ambulances had, had taken his shirt off to check his vitals. And then here he was shirtless in this photo. And it was just a lot Happening at once. And I remember thinking, you know, when he hit the ground, kind of it, it felt like he had gotten hit, you know, or like the only other time I've really seen someone just kind of like go out cold like that was like when you see a boxer get hit. Um, huh. And it just felt like this menacing moment of time reminding everybody in in that instance, you know, that it, you have a limited amount and that time always wins. And there's there's you know, you can look at it more optimistically, but in that moment, it felt a little bit like, oh, wow, like we're, we're always battling this thing. And time is, you know, time is a, is a, a, a construct or whatever. Yeah. Like it's a, we've made it up. Yeah. Um, but with that said, it's, it's also very real. And I think too, time, like what we're just saying through the pandemic, it made me reflect on everything and being in my early thirties, looking back at my life as a musician and just, you know, you notice, I feel like your early thirties when you first kind of take stock and you, your, your body starts to feel different. You start to look at time differently. You start to feel the aging process, not even necessarily in a bad way, but you just start to feel it. And yeah. you start yeah. to see, you know, I guess you think, wow, the, the first 30 years of my life went by like that. And so the next 30 years are going to go by like that as well. And then that's kind of what, you know, not saying yeah. everyone dies in their sixties, but. Um, my father was in his sixties, you know, passing out at this dinner and just sort of like having this spontaneous health heart condition. And you just, you, you, you start to get attuned to all of that, uh, in yeah. a way that you don't, at least I didn't personally in my twenties where you think you will live forever. 
Yeah, and I think that's a real uh, issue right now with all the mortality in our face all the time. It's just creating this low level stress for every age group. Yeah. Plus, and that's like another the, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the sort of just being surrounded by death throughout the pandemic in the way that we were, it is like this low level hum just in the background that like, uh, yeah, anything could change at any moment. And it's, yeah, time, time is not something to take for granted. Then there's the climate change stuff. I'm just going to make this as sad and <laughs> depressing as possible. Yeah, it is like, I feel like we're on the clock more. Uh, yeah. and, and I yeah. think that that is so when you feel like you're on the clock more, I think we've all disengaged from the clock. So I stop. Yes. I don't I don't keep track of time. Like, I don't know what year it is half the time. I mean, I know the year, but I doesn't feel like time has passed because I'm disengaging from the clock. I think I just made that up. I don't know if there's any merit. No, to that, I like but, that a lot. I think yeah. that there's I definitely think there's something to that. And yeah. the climate change, that's a great point. Like the pressure's on. It feels like the pressure's on in yeah. so many different ways. And it's this fine line of like, you need to live your life to the fullest, but you also need to be responsible and take care of yourself. And yeah, we live, we live in a wild, wild time. And I think a lot of this record is speaking to that too. I remember, you know, to bring my parents back into it when the pandemic started to hit and the world was shutting down, I was actually in Australia on a tour and I had to come racing back. And I remember I knew it's like, I knew the answer to this question before I asked it, but I was like, I asked it, hoping that my parents would be like, oh yeah, we've seen this before, you know? Of course, I knew that there was nothing like this in their lifetimes up until this moment, but I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to ask them, like, I just want the comfort, I want them to be like, you'll be okay. But I, it was like the first time a lot of people in my life that I I sort of looked to for, you know, a sense of hope and comfort were kind of like, we don't know, you know, we don't know what this no one is. Knows. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to enter into that reality, it really just, for me, put... To, to go into this new reality where everything's kind of flipped up uh, on its head, turned on its head that, you know, everything I thought was real is suddenly not. It just defined, it drew a line in the sand between like the, there's now and there's the future, this uncertain future. And then there's the past, which seemed a different way. So again, the past felt comforting and also like this, this tangible thing. It was almost like the, the, the past got a, a bow tied onto it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's this thing I can hold. It's the past. I never thought too much about this before. But now this exists all in its own reality that's so much different than this new reality. I've broken away from this. I'm drifting away from this past. It is like an island out at sea and I'm just going out to sea. And Hmm. now I can like reflect on what this past was, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So you're reflective in a sort of positive way. I think it's an optimistic way. But when you actually, I'm thinking about your, the relationship you forge with Jeff Buckley and his work on this record. And, um, it's obviously, I think it's obviously worth talking about because, um, mm-hmm. there are, there are references to Buckley, uh, and his life and death, uh, that surround this record. And as we're speaking just now, I, it just occurs to me that you might be, I, every, I think a lot of us know this story. I, if anyone, I can share, you actually tell the story in the song on some level and I'll pull it up just so people, yeah. cause it's, I'm going to read the Wikipedia thing. Just people might not know this story, but I just want to bear with me. Bear with me. So on the evening of May 29th, 1997, Buckley's band flew to Memphis to join him in his studio to work on his new material. The same evening, Buckley went swimming fully dressed in Wolf River Harbor, a slack water channel of the Mississippi River, singing the chorus of Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Keith Fody, a roadie in Buckley's band, remained on shore after moving a radio and guitar out of reach of the wake from a passing tugboat, Fody looked up to see that Buckley had vanished. The wake of the tugboat had swept him away from shore and underwater. 
rescue effort that night and the morning after by scuba teams and police failed to discover him. On June 4th, passengers on the American Queen River boat spotted his body in the Wolf River caught in some branches and he was brought to land. That's the end of that uh, factual thing. Uh, in the song Disappearing, you write, if you're not appearing, then oh, I want to ask you about this too, because I will say to people listening, the word is disappearing, but uh, uh, you've made an interesting choice here, Kevin, of not saying the whole word. Let's talk about that. Mm. Don't let me forget about that. But here's what it says. If you're not appearing, then you're disap. If you're not appearing, then you'll disap. If you go down to Memphis, please don't go swimming in the Mississippi River. If you must, if you do, take off your jacket, take off your boots, just don't wash up on Beale. And then later on, you actually quote the part about him singing um, the song, Whole Lot of Love. Uh, and I hope I have, sorry, I should have said spoiler alert. <laughs> no, no, this is good. I, I like the research. This well, is all the, the, the other song is A Coat of Butterflies. So Jeff Buckley's persona and story comes up on this record. And as we were just speaking, I couldn't help but think that you might relate to him, not only because of roughly around the same age, but he does the same, he did the same thing you're doing now. And I think you're, when you think about history in the past, you can't help but be self-aware about what your legacy will be. So I feel like a lot of that is sort of swimming around in what you're talking about throughout this record, like thinking about the past, but thinking about where you're going to, you're going to fit in the past when people look back and then looking at people like Buckley who've been ostensibly uh, lionized, like just deified because they died young uh, and also because of their talent at the time. Sorry, lots of, as you know, sometimes I go on these things. You're a great interviewer. This is great. You're totally getting this. You know, you've you've gone deep with this in a way no one has yet. And I really really appreciate that. I I worry I babble when I'm formulating ideas and I think I do, but I appreciate that you appreciate that. So having said all that, why Buckley? Am I on the right track in terms of why you relate to his story? You're hitting the nail on the head. You really are. It's really great. And I like, you know, Jeff Buckley. So I did an interview with Vice magazine in 2019 um, during my Oh My God tour uh, with a writer named Josh Terry. Shout out to Josh. He's a great writer. And this whole thing kind of came about because they were doing this series where they would have artists pick a classic record that they had not heard. And then they would play the record for the person and they would interview them about it in real time. So Josh gave me this list and uh, Jeff Buckley's Grace was on there. And, you know, such an iconic album cover and it's, it's you know, he's such a beautiful man and it's like, I I, I chose that one and... We listen to it. And the thing is, I, he's one of those artists for me, kind of how Nina Simone was for a long time, which is funny because he does such a great job at covering Nina Simone. And I think their talents uh, lie in a very similar place. But, you know, for me, I always kind of knew there might be something there. I, I might be attracted to his music and I wasn't sure why, but then I would give it a try and it, it, it wouldn't connect immediately. But this was really that thing that I sort of needed, you know, sitting there doing this interview, listening to this, being asked about it for me to, to really get in touch with it. And he's one of those people. And again, like Nina Simone, I think she's similar where they have this rare gift where they can cover other people's work and make it better than the original, which is such a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it takes a, a, a specific, very certain type of talent to do that. But anyway, so Josh had mentioned to me and it was something I knew. I knew that he had drowned sort of mysteriously. I always kind of thought maybe it was more of a suicide thing. And then it turns out it wasn't. It was just this kind of mysterious, eerie, strange death and josh was telling me about it it's, it's literally in this interview you can go read and 
it really just, you know, caught my interest. And that kind of happened right around the same time that I played the show in Memphis and Memphis was kind of becoming this place of interest for me as well. And those two stories, yeah, they just kind of coincided to become this, this strange muse for me. And I think, and like you were just saying, I'm so glad you said it. Like, I think his story stuck out to me more than any other sort of, you know, cause most stories in Memphis are about Memphians, you know, people from there or other people from surrounding areas in the South. But he's someone who kind of came from further away. You know, he lived in California and then he lived in New York and then he went to Memphis. I really did relate to it in this way where I was like, I think whatever he must have been chasing is also the same thing that I'm chasing. Yeah. And everything I've read about his life in that time period was, you know, I just related to a lot. There's even little silly things. And I never want to be the person who's trying to compare myself to this iconic, you know, um, legendary artist. I'm not saying I'm like that. But what I am saying is I would read things like he critically, it would always be a mixed bag and he did better overseas than he would in America. I really relate to that. That's always been my career. Mm -hmm. So it made sense to me that someone who felt that way was trying to like, well, I really want to get to like, I want to follow the breadcrumb trail back. And it sort of led me to Memphis. And I'm, I, I really want to touch on something so American and, and so sort of timeless that it led him there and it led to his death. You know, there's parts of me even being in that city where I was like, I don't want to get too close to the source here. This city seems to have a way with tragedy and I don't want to be one of those casualties. You know, I need to really watch my step, which is why I think in that song disappearing, mm. um, it's kind of this warning to myself. So, you know, when I was there and I was, I was, first of all, I was living in a hotel called the Peabody hotel, which is kind of this, like, if you ever go there, you should, you should, you should definitely stay at this hotel. I need to go at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a lo- I've heard it, of it. I, it's a beautiful, wonderful yeah. place. And it's this sort of exotic, um, place of the South. You know, I kind of view it as probably how the Plaza hotel is, um, in New York. I've never been there, but a way more affordable version of that, but it's kind of like the Plaza Hotel of the South. And being there during the pandemic was really this sort of surreal experience. They gave me a suite because I stayed there for so long and there's the vacancy was so low. They upgraded me to the suite. I had this big suite in downtown Memphis, you know, which is like a ghost town wow. for the most part. And, it, it, and even doubly so because of the pandemic. And, you know, there'd be like this player piano always playing standards in the lobby and it kind of felt ominous and, but most of my days, because of the virus and I, I wasn't trying to be around people and most restaurants were closed and things like that, I kind of just made it my mission to fill my days up with sort of chasing the lineage of, of you know, the arcs of people's work and in, in, in life and death. And Jeff Buckley kind of consumed most of my time there. And I read all these really interesting, almost sort of bizarre things, but I found them very relatable, like how he had been trying to buy this house in Memphis that wasn't for sale. And he was trying to buy a car that wasn't for sale. He had applied for a job at the Memphis Zoo to be the butterfly keeper. And I found that very peculiar, but also I'm like, that's not something too far away from I I could see me or one of my peers doing. I, I kind of hmm. understand why he would do that. So I was, I was, you know, I was, I was scouring Reddit threads to find the entry point of where he drowned. I eventually found it. And I was just kind of going on these weird little self-guided tours of, you know, these, these icons lives and Jeff Buckley's, it really did speak the most to me because there was other people who were really, you know, on my mind and I was sort of chasing their thing as well. But his, I felt like an outsider in the same way that I think he sort of felt like an outsider. Um, at least that's my projection. I don't want to, you know, speak for him obviously, but, but yeah, so it just, his story really stuck out to me and it, and it really, it, 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 I found a lot of creativity in it. And, um, yeah. Thank you, Jeff Buckley. <laughs> no, and I really appreciate that explanation. I mean, it's, 
I didn't realize how eerie it was. Like I was thinking about, by the way, have you read? There's uh, also a thing too. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but there's a thing. And Josh had mentioned this, but when he was found, his body was discovered at the foot of Beale Street. Um, oh, okay. I which is why that. there's that lyric, which is upstream from where the river was. And you know, the whole, I actually just discovered this the other day. I looked up why Memphis is called Memphis and it's, it's called Memphis because there's an Egyptian city, uh, of the same name that's on the Nile. So anyways, Memphis, Tennessee, it's, it's, you, the river is overlooks everything you do. Wherever you're at, that's kind of like, you know, the, the river's there sort of peering over everything. And so when you're in downtown Memphis, it's, it's just one of those eerie things. It's like being in, you know, a site like Ground Zero in New York or something where you're like, it, this is where this thing happened. But you can see where Jeff Buckley, you, Wolf Harbor's right there and the river's flowing one way and he, he floated upstream, uh, because of this undercurrent right. kind of carried him upstream and then sort of eerily and ominously dropped him off at Beale Street and it's kind of become a part of that story. So that's, that's why that lyric is there. And Beale Street, as I recall from just reading about it, was like the main drag for uh music yeah. and, and nightlife and all that stuff uh so i'm calling upon my memories of have you read peter Garalnik's books about elvis at all the two books he I've, I've skimmed them i've skimmed them i would read those are my favorite music biographies and he did his most recent uh large-scale project was a book about sam phillips um, I would right. recommend all of them to you just, just based on your interest in that, in that region. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the things you've been citing, I, I, I associate them with those books on some level. Like I know a lot about whatever I know about them in my stored in my brain is from these Peter Garalnik books. So I'd recommend those things, but yeah, it is very eerie. I mean, when I think about Memphis and I think about Elvis and Graceland, and then you think about Jeff Buckley's record is Grace. I mean, on, there's a lyric on your record where I assume it's a reference to maybe the record on a random act of kindness, which is this meditative repetition of words. It's a little less dense than some of the yeah. uh, other lyrics uh, on the record. But you write out of grace, out of grace, out of grace, out of style. I don't know. Like, that's interesting, too. Like, out of style for someone whose career might he might have felt marginalized, but posthumously, like, he's... Like I say, he's become this icon similar yeah. to Elvis. Which so there's it? like, and the, I don't know, Southern Grace. Like I just can't, I'm, I'm maybe this is too pedantic or whatever, but I'm like, there's something no, going on with that place. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's, and again, I think it's, it's by far my favorite city in America. I think I would love to live there someday. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, there's, we keep using the word eerie and there, there is that element, but it's, it's a beautiful place. And like the hospitality is so warm and everyone there is so, so great. I, I really, you know, because I wrote there, I kind of felt a little bit like an imposter. Then I almost was wanted would hesitate to talk about it. You know, when I talked to my publicist about this record, I was like, I kind of don't know if I should mention Memphis yeah, too much. Yeah. And you know, he's like, Well, what do you mean? It's it's all over. You got to mention it. It's all over the record. And so when I was recording the record and we were getting ready to finish it, we could have easily had finished it in upstate New York where we recorded the bulk of it. But I was like, you know what? And it's a thing I like to do. I like to sort of record away from where the muse is because, you know, then if you're inside the muse, it can kind of become less romantic or something. That's something I've dealt with in the past. Like, oh, suddenly you're going to, you know, you have this idea of a place, but then when you're there working, you know, it becomes this place where you're like going to Whole Foods and, uh, you know, <laughs> and suddenly the, the veil is lifted or something. But I was like, you know what? I really feel it's important to kind of go back and get Memphis on the record a little bit and whatever, yeah. whatever that means. And so we actually went to the F Sam Phillips recording company, which is the studio Sam Phillips had after son. Yep. And yep. it's sort of ran your point person. There is Jerry Phillips, Sam Phillips son. 
uh, who's wonderful, amazing host who ended up on the record. He does like a little spoken word thing that I wrote on the record. Um, that's him. So I ask about so. those. I was going to ask about a couple of things uh, in, in that realm in terms of ambience, but please continue. Yeah. So he was really great. And that place is, again, it's just like preserved in time. It's really amazing studio. If you're looking to record a record, I, it's like, I can't think of a cooler place almost. I mean, and it's, you know, a lot of the gear has been updated, obviously, but everything like Sam Phillips office is the same as it was in the seventies. It's this amazing shag carpet. All the furniture is amazing. There's ashtrays everywhere. There's a little bar that they built there. I guess Sam Phillips built it for Elvis and Johnny Cash at the time because they're too famous to go out in public. So there's like this little four seater bar that we would like go have like a tequila with Jerry in every day in the afternoon, which is really a fun experience and kind of how him being on the record came to be because he's got this amazing speaking voice. And I had already done that spoken word part myself. And I was like, Jerry, I think you should do this. And it took some convincing, but he, he, he agreed after a couple (laughs) of tequilas, which is nice. And, um, but you know, there's there's like cigarette burns on the on the bar from where Johnny Cash put out a cigarette stuff like that where it's just wow. it's really cool to be around that and it's the same you know you mentioned the like the Lorraine Motel I think like that still being there is is so important you know Martin Luther King's bed is still unmade no one made his bed you know the, oh the I didn't morning know that. that he was assassinated and yeah. you see it at the end of the tour and that's still there and the the Thunderbirds are still in the parking lot and like. I think there's something to America. It loves to, obviously, it just loves to just whitewash the past, just, you know, just get rid of the past. And I love that about Memphis where it's, it's all still there. And it's, it's not, not in a tacky way. It's just in a way where mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no great security around the Lorraine Motel. It's just there. You can go and just look at it, you know, and same with these studios. And I, they're all in a couple block radius. It's pretty, pretty mind blowing. I didn't know that the, you're saying the cars that they drove are still in the parking lot? The, yeah. Is, and I don't know, like, don't, they are still, there are these two Thunderbirds in the parking lot and they might be, they might have got replicas for those, but they might be the same ones. I'm, I, I'm, but the bed is unmade. All the stuff that's still in the room is still just his stuff. And I think there's something so important to that because, you know, if you go to Nashville, you know, the city that kind of, uh, Memphis and Nashville always butted heads, but everything there is like, this total museum and behind a glass case. Obviously, there's some of that too with these things in these museums, but what's well, more tacky? T- like the people we stayed with in Nashville at the time kept calling it Nash Vegas. Yeah, uh, people, Nash Vegas, exactly. And yeah. you know, there's good elements to a place like Nashville, but like you can go to Sun Studios and you can literally touch the microphone and pose with the microphone that Elvis sang "That's All Right, Mama" into. And that's, I think, that's a great example of what Memphis is. It's not a, fr- it's like no, touch the past. You know, it's. It's still here, and I think that's important going forward. It's interesting that you've cited Martin Luther King's hotel room, the Thunderbirds, Sam Phillips' office. They all sound like living photographs, untouched. Yeah, that's fascinating. So there we go. We've almost come full circle. (laughs) But I think no, that is a thing. There was a thread I was trying to tie with my parents because my parents have no relationship to Memphis. You know, they they're from Middle America. They're from other places in Middle America, but. There was this thing of like, how do I tie the elements of this record together with these photographs of my parents that were taken in Texas and, and Kentucky and Nebraska to my sort of recent found love with this place like Memphis? And I just, it's just all happened in the past, you know? It's in, yeah, all sort of these living photographs. I think that's a great way of saying it. It is, it's coming to light more and more. I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's really opening the record up to me. I alluded to the fact that there's some ambiance on the record. The intro, 
uh, of the record, at least the version I have of it, uh, seems to have almost like a field recording with the opening mm. guitar lick to uh, This is a Photograph, which my wife, by the way, every time it plays in the house, she goes, this reminds me of Jonathan Richmond every time. And I'm like, right, you've <laughs> mentioned cool. this. She, uh, she, I, I really like the song. It reminds me of Jonathan Richmond. Don't know if you have any connection to Jonathan, but um, there's something about the repetition and the... Mm-hmm. It's sort of like faux naive, like you, the, the, the repetition of it is, which I, I love Jonathan Richmond. It's not a, that's not a slag in any way, but it's like, it's, it's just like, it's just the, uh, the incessantness of it. This is a photograph. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Anyway. So, uh, there's that, like the that. intro, there's pen. the thing you just mentioned with Jerry Phillips, uh, which is called, what's that called? It's called forever inside a picture, right? Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Tim Heidecker. Our mutual colleague is uh, laughing on a track, I believe. Uh, yeah. So there's like little little bits of humanness. What's going on with some of those things I just cited? Why why are they on the record? Or sorry, you mentioned the Jerry thing, but why why exactly have this sort of these sort of textures? Well, I think there's an element that if you wanted to look at it through the angle of coming out of doing Sundowner, which was basically just me and one other person, and having really no one else involved to being in a pandemic and just missing friends and missing that sort of community and collaboration. So trying to get as many people involved as possible and just little things like, like that laughter part. It's Alia Shawkat from that, you know, she was in rest development search party, yep. amazing actress, Tim Heidecker legend. And I'd become sort of friendly with both of them over the internet during the pandemic. I was like, let's get them on the record, you know, just fun stuff like that. Like, I don't want to do a spoken word part. Let's get Jerry to do it, you know? And another thing I meant to mention about recording in that studio was we got some of the Stax uh, Academy students to to come sing on it. And they were amazing. And like, just kind of having it be this collaborative thing yeah. with, with as many people as possible, like throwing a party after this terrible time where you couldn't have a party. And it's interesting. Um, you mentioned Sundowner, which I think of as a very stark record yeah. and you, it's you and one other person this is like a community of people like if you look at the liner notes every song has got like well almost every song has like at least five six seven people on it so it seems yeah. like very conscious of you to try to create little communities on every song for sure and then with in terms of the samples and collecting those sort of audio snippets you know the beginning of the record what you're hearing that's sam cohen who produced the record that's his children he just kind of set up a microphone and they were playing on the porch of the studio one day and our friend Eric from Fruit Bats and his wife Annie are kind of talking to them. So I like the idea of that because I'm getting ready to sing a song about my dad. And there's a moment where Sam's youngest daughter, Freddie, you know, calls him daddy. And I'm like, this is cool because it's like a, you know, I'm capturing, this is like a photograph of them. You know, this is, this is a, a moment in time where she'll be able to look back at this and be like, oh, there's this record. I'm on this guy, Kevin Morby's record. And I'm talking to my dad at the beginning of it for some reason, but oh, she can look okay. at that and, yeah hear her voice, which I think is cool. So there's a couple of stuff from upstate New York. Uh, there was literally this bird that was, there's this, uh, titted tuft mouse or something like that bird that was singing along to our song as we're recording it. Oh. Sam's place in upstate New York. And we got it on the record and you can literally hear it. It's doing this like did it, did it thing on, uh, the song it's over. But then on all those Jeff Buckley songs, I really wanted to make a point. I went to the, I went to the zoo for, for disappearing. I went to the zoo and there's this plaque. There's this very strange plaque that like Columbia records donated to the Memphis zoo. That's like right by the tigers. And I hadn't been to a zoo in, you know, since I was a kid and they're very depressing places. Absolutely. The most depressing. You, it always sounds like a good idea. We'll take the kids to the zoo. And then you get there like, this is (laughs) so sad. 
You know, my, you're like watching these things starve and yeah. uh, like starve themselves out of depression. Yeah. And it's so it's awful. sad, but yeah. and especially like in the peak pandemic, going to a zoo in Memphis was just like a vibe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I love that Jeff Buckley loved it. It makes sense that he loved a butterfly garden. That's like a that's, that's probably a, a less depressing place than, than you know looking at the lions or something. Sure, just fucking in hell but um yeah they're so it's sad awful. but yeah so i went to the, i had spent this like uh, like two days going to the memphis zoo just a you know 30 a three-year-old man at the time just hanging out at the zoo alone with an audio recorder but um <laughs> that you know on the song disappearing i there was like this bird that just sounded like you know sometimes birds sound like they're singing and sometimes they sound like they're crying out for help they're screaming and i got this bird just making this sort of you know terrified lonely sound and that's what's on that song. And then I captured a little audio snippets and it seems kind of cheesy, but I went down to the part of the river where he was last seen. And I, I collected audio samples from there of the, just what the water sounded like. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, I mean, it's just a peaceful thing to do to go sit down there and kind of remember this icon. And I don't know. I, in the same way that I was trying to get a lot of people on the record to sort of have this party, I also wanted to bring elements in from the outside world and just kind of open the record to be this open door policy where it was just, Every everything was had an appearance, and it wasn't this insular, just me in a room. Well, you also it, it gives it uh, when you hear human voices on a record, it obviously gives it a different character. And I don't mean to put too fine a point on this, but it can give a record a cinematic quality. There are a number of references, yeah. I think, to as I said, pop culture, but films, uh, actors, actresses, uh, various pop culture icons. I recently, I don't know why. It was just on the streaming channel. I watched Five Easy Pieces like three months ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I watched it again, I should say. And I hadn't seen it since I was a kid and probably didn't understand what exactly was going on. And I still don't quite understand what was going on. Um, But you named a song after it and you reference Jack Nicholson's character in it. Uh, There's another song where if I were to put a pin on it, I would say, is this a reference to Adam Sandler's? Uh, song about how everyone's going to laugh at them, uh, you know, and I, so I'm just hearing little things. Is any of this blowing your mind? The five easy pieces thing, certainly. Adam Sandler, no. Um, <laughs> I've got a no Adam Sandler reference policy in my songs. They're but, all going to laugh at you. They're that, all going to laugh at you is famously a part of an Adam Sandler bit, I think. Am I making that up? But I think more famously is a, it's from Carrie. It's oh, from right. Carrie. So it is oh, a right, cinematic of course. Reference. Yes, yes, yes. So another, sorry, and, sorry about the Sandman coming into our conversation. <laughs> I could see your, 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 your haunches are up or whatever the expression is. Cinema, film, talk about documentation, talk about frozen in time, yeah. but not, you know, alive in time. Film right. is part of this process for you, talking about it, writing about uh, films you like. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I'm someone who's, I get so inspired to make music from like little snippets of, of film or like a, a one line in a book or like something I saw out in the world than by listening to other music. Like it's, it's, it's wanting, it's like, oh, I want to take the feeling that's in five easy pieces and put that into a song. How do I do that? Kind of crossing or, or, you know, melding these things together. And, you know, that carry reference comes from, that song is sort of loosely based on the late, great Jay Riotard, who's another person from Memphis and is a sort of tragedy from Memphis. Wow. And yeah. someone who's on my mind because I was existing in Memphis and there's a big mural of him d- downtown. And that's, again, another great way. It's it, You know, he wasn't the most famous person in the world, certainly not up against all the other, you know, people to come out of that town. But 
But very, I, very impactful. Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah. impactful. And, and that, like, that's yeah. the thing about Memphis. And I think, you know, and it goes back to, you know, the blues musicians to, you know, it's Muddy Waters to Elvis to, to Jay Retard. I mean, there's a line there. And like, you look at Jay Retard's story and he was a, you know, there's this documentary about him that's great that I watched. And I didn't understand the poverty that he'd sort of come from. And, you know, when I think about kind of where that garage rock world went, it kind of takes someone like Jay Retard to sort of pop something off and then sort of hand it over to people who can kind of handle it a little bit better than him to carry the torch. And, you know, because he ended up this tragic figure. And I also don't, I, I see why someone in his position coming from where he came from could sort of, you know, had problems with addiction or didn't get to see their potential fully realized. And so anyways, he was on my mind and uh, he, I was a big fan of him as when he was around and releasing records. And I kind of revisited all his work and it's so good and monumental within that scene. And the cover of his sort of, you know, seminal work, Blood Visions, he's cover, he, he's doing this reference on the cover to Carrie. And, right. and it's a thing where, you know, he talks about that record cover. He says that he's covered in blood. I mean, it's pretty insane. He talks about how that record is a concept record about killing your girlfriend, which is not something that would fly in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. but when it came out in 2009, it was this big record. But what the way I kind of saw it and the way I was kind of going at it was I'd read all this stuff about how he adopted the name, you know, uh, Jay Retard as a sort of, it was sort of weird, weird Al Yankovic badge of honor sort of way. Like, okay, if you're going to call me that, I'm going to wear it pridefully. And yeah. I read just that he was picked on in school. And even though he said he was covered in blood because it was supposed to be this revenge thing against a girlfriend or something, I kind of saw it as like, well, there's got to be some element, whether he knows it or not, which is that, you know, it, if this kid was getting made fun of in school and that's why he's wearing this name as badge of honor. And now he's like, got blood cover. He's covered in blood like a sissy SpaceX character as Carrie after she like just murdered all these people in her high school. Um, <laughs> so I just took the line from that movie and put it in this song that was loosely based a, a, about him. So um, I see. Okay. So, yeah. so there's, so yeah, there's a lot of cinema in here. You're going through the physical archives. You're going through multi, it's a lot of media, frankly. Mickey Mantle's mentioned, like, mm-hmm. like pop culture stuff. So it just, it, it's striking to me every time you mention someone's name, Richie Valens, you know, another, uh, tragic figure is mentioned. You say you feel like him in a plane. I mean, that's, there's some darkness to this is all I'm mm-hmm. getting at. And, um, we celebrate people who are gone, but it's very sad sometimes it's very hard and you try to relate to their lives and I think their deaths. And I think that's happening a lot on this record for you. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Valens line is I'm kind of speaking from the ghost of Jeff Buckley flying through this fog on like a small plane, right. which is, you know, obviously Richie Valens, what he was doing when he died. And, but I, it's funny. I'm wearing a Buddy Holly shirt right now. You're wearing <laughs> a Buddy Holly shirt as we're speaking. That is also yeah. whole thing's eerie, whole conversation. Weird. I yeah. find I'm fine. <laughs> this well, this this shirt I should say for those who you who can't see it, it's Buddy Holly. Like a, I'm I was born in Lubbock, so it's like yeah. a Lubbock festival sponsored by Dr Pepper. There's a lot going on on this shirt, so it says Dr yeah. Pepper. There's a photo of Buddy Holly, um, <laughs> and I bought it. It's got these also like horrific armpit stains that are not mine, but I I love this shirt. Thanks for I highlighting those. That was good for me to see, <laughs> and no one else can see those. But it's nice that they're hearing about it. That's I forgot you're from Lubbock. That's where Buddy's uh, Buddy Holly was from. That's amazing in itself. Yeah. Like you you were born maybe to do what you're doing. And, yeah, uh, I like to think so. I like to, yeah. or at least to, born to be fascinated by all this stuff. And um, 
But you know, yeah, again, that that line, uh, I feel like that one's on a Cessna, and he wasn't on a Cessna when he died. I just like the word Cessna, and people. Get oh, the okay, point. okay, but, okay. Um, we can fact check this by watching La Bamba, all of us, and yeah, we'll, that's true. We'll learn what happens, uh, which I also movie. just Real watched Pacific recently. Movie. Again, it was on TV, so I'm like, oh, I'm not flipping the channel on La Bamba. <laughs> that's one of those movies. I always say my parents didn't really listen to music, but they would have. There was always like a musical biopic played in the house, like Selena or La Bamba or Eddie and the Cruiser. So I got into sort of maybe the myth of rock and roll through those films at a young oh, yeah. age. But yeah, but that like that lyric of I feel like Valens on a Cessna. I'm kind of in the character of Jeff Buckley, but I'm actually you know it's me. It's coming from Kevin yeah. Morby. Yeah. And what I'm getting at there is just this sort of confusing and what the song disappearing is about. And go to go back to your mention of the disip you know like where yeah i meant to word, follow up on that thank you yeah the word cuts out is this sort of feeling of like i've been a prolific artist and at times i felt i'm prolific in the way in the same way that i'm i'm bad with dead space when i'm speaking like i don't like a lot of space between me and the person i have a conversation with i'm kind of like that with albums i'm like ooh, i can't handle too much silence i've got to be on tour i've got to be releasing stuff and then for the pandemic to hit there was just this feeling of like you know, if you're not appearing, you're disappearing. And then me doing that thing where I, I sort of pull the word disappearing down with the fader as I'm singing it is a sort of just sonically, I'm, I'm doing the thing that I'm depicting, you know, mm. the, the word is disappearing literally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was a fun thing to do. Um, no, it's a, cle- it's a clever thing to do. And it, it, um, it does feel like a gap. Like you, when you're listening to the record, uh, it just, you're like, what? Oh, something happened. Yeah. It glitched. Right. I like those but things. Pre- it wakes you up. It did. It does. And it did. It did. No, it's, I hope from this conversation, people can tell that this is a super multi-layered and fascinating record. I think it is. I hope Thank you. we got to some stuff that you thought was good today, yeah, Kevin. This is really wonderful. Like I said, you, you're really hitting the nail on the head with a lot of this. Okay. I really good. Then I, I, I'm doing my best and I, I, I just think it's wonderful. And I, I, I'm always grateful to hear your music and I'm, I'm grateful to talk to you. Um, I see by the, info i was sent you've got tour plans right pretty extensive mm-hmm. ones it looks mm-hmm. like yep i got a, a couple european tours and then a full full north american tour I'd be coming to your neck of the woods oh really are you coming to alberta no but you know to canada <laughs> <laughs> it's a big country it's huge okay it's well huge. that's fine i'd like also, to I see to ask some... you, you you said you're going to tulsa soon is that to see the dylan archives where did i say that oh did i say that on twitter yeah so what yeah, that, again, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's that's exactly. So I was invited and again, by the time people hear this, the event may have passed. I was invited to attend the grand opening of the Bob Dylan Center and there's that's three amazing. There's three concerts. Uh yeah, except uh, the tweet the tweet was in reference to the fact that your country or some judge in Florida uh got rid of the on-flight mask mandate, which seems Oh yes, yes. bad. So then I, I it was already going to be expensive and complicated to fly to Tulsa from Edmonton like it's like right. a 14 hour flight somehow like with stopovers so well drive I was actually joking but it's a 27 hour drive and maybe I would do that I don't know it seems weird in itself but uh I like driving what month is it it's may it's like coming up it's like uh, uh Just may, it's, that sounds like a great that's a great time of year to drive to yeah, you think so? America. All the way? I'm I'm wary of doing that too. And that I'm a big country. driver. I bought a truck in the pandemic, and I I've just yeah. driven like a madman. I've just driven to both coasts multiple times, to Memphis a million times. So I'm I'm always down for the road trip. I think it's a good idea. It's, it's a 27 hour 27 hour drive, but it's like a 14 hour flight the way I've got it mapped out right now. So I'm like, 
why would I do this? Like, why? But my point is the mask thing, I still think, I know you're like, hey, you're going to get over it. It's fine. Just get it. And whatever. You're like a fatalist. But everything I've read, <laughs> no, you're not a fatalist. Mm-hmm. Everything I've read, you don't want to get it. If you can help not getting it, don't get it because they don't really know about the long-term impacts and it doesn't sound good. Uh, what they're seeing already. Uh, so I'm, and then the fact that I honestly, I feel like if we all just wear the masks, you know, a lot of performers like yourself are begging people yeah. in the audience to wear masks because it'll protect work. everyone. How, what is your, I don't want to, I don't know if you want to delve into this because I know. No, you it's fine. It. I just, those things, I'm, unfortunately, it'll never work. I don't, the masks, I've learned a lot from masks through this whole period. I think masks are great. I wish the mandate was still on planes. That, that, that is a place where I'm very happy to be wearing a mask. And when someone fucking coughs, I'm so glad they're wearing a mask and yeah. flying for what I do. And I fly often. You always get sick on a plane. It's always like some flight makes you sick, but the mask thing, I just think the world, they're just, they're, they're not going to go back. You know, I know I, it's very frustrating. Like, I, I feel like yeah. this is a, a, a symbol of like, we've been talking about climate change. Some people have for 40 or 50 years and nothing's been done. This is right, right. in our face and we can't just simply wear a piece of cloth on our face. I was just in very liberal indie rock Los Angeles, um, you know, where yeah. I love and I used to live. And I was going to shows there and no one was wearing masks. So I know. No one's wearing masks there. It's over. it's over. You know what I'll say about the Bob Dylan event? So the three concerts, and again, I'll just say it because by this point they probably have passed and I probably didn't go. But if I did, then I'll <laughs> tell you about it on the podcast. But anyway, the three shows are Mavis Staples, Elvis Costello and the Imposters, and the Patti Smith Band. Oh, you got to go. I know. You it's My go. wife's like it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but I'm... I've been hemming and hawing. Here's my thing. As I'm speaking, I've got this week-long trip in Ontario. The following week, basically, when I get back is this Dylan trip. So there is part of me that's like, let's see how I fare. Like, if I get it, yeah. which the odds are looking pretty good that I might, uh, <laughs> unless I, I'm mostly going to hang. I, want, I also don't want to get my parents sick. Anyway, that's a whole lot of personal information. Course, my point is, I was also <laughs> thinking, like, if I get it, why would I... I won't be able to go. They won't let me on the plane. They won't let me go. I don't think if you've right, got it. Right. right? So right, I'm right. like, let's see how this trip goes. Then I'll make a call on the other trip, which is foolish because it's going to get more and more expensive. And then this, I think your government is trying to fight the judge who took the mask off the plane. It's a whole, mm-hmm. your whole country is such a drama queen that I don't want to engage yeah. with it so much all the time. You know, like everything. They took, they, yeah, yeah. they, they made the decision and people mid flight were taken off masks. Oh, yeah. And so I've if you were, video, yeah. that's bonkers. Like what a bonkers place. So sorry. America, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bonkers place. It's true. It doesn't seem it's real crazy. anymore to me. It just doesn't feel like a real place. It's just like one random news story after another. Anyway, I'd like to go to it. I'm, I appreciate you seeing my tweet yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> and, and maybe I'll go. And if so, I'll, I'll send you a report. Uh, Kevin, if people want to learn more about you and your tour dates and your record, uh, where would you like to send them on the internet? Um, KevinMorby.com. That's there. got everything, right? I think it's got everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're on all the socials and stuff. I'm on social media. I'm all over it. Killing it. You're, you're going to stuff. You're fo- posting photos. You're, you're, you're dominating <laughs> I, social media. You know, it's great. If you drive through Tulsa, we have the, we have two houses in Kansas City. You can stay at, you can stay at one. It'll be safe. No one will, no one will bother what? you. What? How far yeah. is Tulsa from where, from Kansas City? It's like five hours or something. Tulsa's you want me to stay town. in your house five hours away from the place I'm going to be staying at? Like well, I, I th- on your way, on your oh, drive. Oh, on my way. Oh, you well, stop that's... for the night. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like you can commute back and forth from the yeah, center. Yeah, after the to... shows, just drive back up here. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I might take you. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I yeah. thinking I would fly hotel, which I don't know. The hotel thing's also weirding me out. Whole thing's you're weirding gonna, me out. I mean, I'll That's, tell you this. If you're going to do it, if you're going to commit to coming, you're going to just, you know, you got to just know what no one's going to be masks. And um, no, I was going to say. The Bob Dylan Center requests proof of vaccination and masking for all of the concerts. You have to. Oh, wow. So they're I, being responsible. So I'm like, that was a good yeah. sign to me because I'm trying to be responsible and informed. But we, the well, most well-informed, I feel, are being tagged as anxious and over-worrying. And I, I, it's a weird time right now. So It's a weird time. Yeah. Anyway, my I'd like to go. I hope I can go. And I hope you can go. It's the center sounds amazing. Um, actually, Wait, I, that sounds. I, if I was in town, I may I'm going to be off in, on tour and stuff. But I would love to go to that. Tulsa's amazing. The Woody Guthrie Center is amazing, and I love that they're getting the Dylan archive. They're doing tours of both for us. The Woody oh, Guthrie great. Center, by the way. So it's like May fourth, fifth, and sixth. I want to say. I don't think you're quite on the road yet. So if you want to make a trip, we can meet there. Oh my god, that's that's true. I might, I might do that. I okay. might do that. Uh, I'll, if, if so, and I make this decision, I told him, I, I told him I wanted a plus one. And then I said, I, cause I was like, maybe my wife and I'll go. Then I'm like, what if we both die? Who's going to raise our children? So let's not well, both go. <laughs> so maybe I'll go. If I get, if I write them back, I'll ask you about your, uh, dietary, uh, requirements and we'll, I'll fill out the form and maybe we can both go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> let me know. That sounds great. <laughs> so, uh, COVID as, Kev. Will be it'll be great. I think I. I mean, I'm sure Bob will be there. That's the other thing. If I'm going to get COVID, I want to get it from Bob. Exactly. No better way. Yeah. No better way. I think so. Now, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, we're recording this uh, in advance of the the record's release. Uh, but I think uh, if if you'd permit it, I'd like to play a song from the record. So, mm-hmm. is there anything you can think of from the record that we should go out on right now, Kevin? I think your choice, dealer's choice. Okay, you're really putting me on the spot here. Because I sort of uh, mangled it in terms of where I thought it was coming from, and it's a slight outlier on the record, I want to go with Rock Bottom. What do you think of that? That sounds good. If that's what you want, dealer's choice. Yeah, I, No one does this to me anymore. They don't put me on the spot. Because normally I ask, and the guest picks, I think, and then I well, can... That was a sing- Actually, I'm going to... Maybe I'll veto. Maybe I'll veto. You have veto power. I, I offer that on the show every Let's time. Let's do a code of butterflies. I think we talked a lot about Jeff Buckley on here. I think that's a long song, but if, you know, maybe people don't mind that. It's fine. It's, it's got a, I believe that's the one with the, the Led Zepp reference as well. Uh, allusion mm-hmm. to, uh, what a weird part of that story. And you've done it so well, by the way, to, uh, Thank you. I, I won't spoil it. We'll, we'll just hear it. Like the way you bring yeah, that, let's do that, bring that into the, uh, into the action of the song. Okay. And a coat of butterflies is a very vivid image as well. I wondered where that came from. You mentioned the butterfly stuff at the zoo. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I got my thinking cap on today. I feel, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about everything we've done today. Thank you, Kevin. This is the wallpaper, the wallpaper on the cover of the record has a lot of butterflies in, oh, yeah. in it for that reason. And some very nice speakers, it looks like. Are, are those speakers yeah. or are they shelves? I can't tell. I'm just, they're, they're speakers. I'm looking at a very tiny digital version of the album cover. When I, Get the physical one. I'll study it more closely when I get the record. In any case, this is a beautiful song by Kevin Morby called A Coat of Butterflies from his excellent new record. This is a photograph. Kevin, it's always a real pleasure to have you on the show. And always thank you. Thank you so much for making time for me. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. Uh, thank you very much. You too. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you next time.
There's a lighthouse on the water, throwing light back at the shore. I heard your dad trying to swim towards it. Now you're living on the river's floor. I heard the mighty Mississippi took you out with just one punch. I heard you had the voice of a sweetheart, but the sweetheart was out getting drunk. Singing hallelujah He did what Lennon never could to eat Gave it wings then away it was Numbers two in England And they say you're your daddy's son But Jeff if you're anything like me You only care about America Where you're always in someone's wake Or you're singing while you're sinking in sand In the river still from far away But if you touch her she will pull you in Cause she's violent and she's stubborn And she's ugly but I love her God damn God damn Camera, 
And I swear to God he looked at me And if you wanna settle down Then you came to the right town To close your big brown eyes And wear a coat of butterflies But if you wanna live forever Jumping deep with the mystery sweet Waiting to the water Close your eyes, boy, and sing Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy Kevin Morby. He's very sweet and kind. He's been on the show a couple times now. Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming back. This time to appear on the 685th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Instagram and on Twitter at vishkana. 
Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. It is the primary source of revenue is the Patreon. Uh, everything else is, uh, you know, whatever. I just make the show. It's uh, There's no other real money coming. There's a little bit of advertising money, but it's very nominal. Uh, the Patreon's the lion's share of the stuff. And I, you know, who wants to advertise? I don't want to advertise, but I got it. I mean, I, I mean, I don't really got it. I should do something, right? All this labor and work going into this show. Something should come back to justify it. Why am I telling you this? Anyway, $6 or more American a month grants you access to exclusive content uh, from my audio archives and also from these interviews, these fresh interviews. I, I do a little extra overtime stuff and I put it on the Patreon, including... Uh, one will be coming up, uh, if it's not already up there on the Patreon, with uh, Kevin Morby from this episode. We went on to talk about, uh, well, ostensibly the NBA playoffs, but then it went in a uh, different direction. Anyway, that's what goes on there. If you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, you can also message me on Patreon, and I will get you one just as soon as is humanly possible and while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash Control to support the show with a flexible monthly donation. Thanks in advance if you end up doing that. Speaking of saying thanks, thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order things at their website there at blackbird.ca. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively based in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the program. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Kevin Morby. Check out This is a Photograph and go see Kevin on tour if you feel like uh, it's safe to do so and you want to have some fun. And also, please consider subscribing or following, subscribing to the podcast or following it. I don't know what the... Everyone says something different. Also... Tell your friends to do the same thing. Talk about the show with your friends. That helps spread the word about it. And all of that means a lot. So thank you. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.